Oh my god, they're dead! Who could have done such a heinous act? I bet it was that frog down by the swamp. I don't like that frog. He's got them shifty eyes. It was that convict Ironjaw, that rapscallion. I bet it was that strange shadowy figure that likes to swing in the park on Thursday nights. I swear to you, it was my stuffed panda. He's, he's possessed. It could have been Ricky's arm. We haven't seen it since it got cut off. I definitely know who the killer is. That way. Blank is the killer. Hello and welcome to Blank is the Killer, the unoriginal horror movie podcast where I, your completely visible host, Josh Baker, cover six new-to-me horror movies with a random spooky topic seven at the end. This episode features impartial demons, wasp abominations, and invisible baddies. I hear screams coming from that spooky bunker. Tag along as I check it out to hear about some horror flicks. Number one, The Devil's Rock, 2011, directed by Paul Campion. Two Kiwis, Ben and Joe, make it to a German outpost on one of the Channel Islands. After placing charges on an anti-aircraft gun, they hear screams. A Nazi approaches them and is killed by Ben. A woman's screams are heard. Ben goes to investigate despite Joe's protests. After some time passes, Joe also goes to investigate. A Nazi named Klaus kills Joe and captures Ben. Klaus explains to Ben that the captured woman is a demon that was summoned. To Ben, the demon looks like his deceased wife. Klaus tries to trick Ben into helping him perform a ritual by saying it will banish the demon. Before the ritual is completed, Klaus is killed by the demon. Ben leaves the demon on the island where it can kill more Nazis that will be arriving there shortly. Klaus is the killer. The demon kind of is too, but... The demon only kills the baddies, aka the Nazis. I can't put someone on the killer list for killing Nazis. I'm still letting R and Jesus take the wheel for most of the movies I'm watching. It saved me a ridiculous amount of time to just randomly choose a movie off my big ol' list. The Devil's Rock was picked from the New Zealand section of the list. Nazis, demons, two things that go pretty well together. When I saw that the runtime for this movie was only 86 minutes, I was pumped. Not all movies gotta be two hours. Not a lot happens in The Devil's Rock, but the movie is still very entertaining. There's a lot of tension. The movie starts off with Ben and Joe crawling on the beach looking for landmines. Right after they decide it's clear, Joe steps on one. He doesn't step on the plunger so it doesn't end up exploding, but there's some thick tension leading up to that reveal. I'm a sucker when it comes to occult stuff, so I must have looked like a kid in a candy store when Klaus started drawing a huge sigil on the floor. Your boy loves him some sigils. There's also a grimoire in the movie. I know, I know, magic probably isn't real, but I still want to buy all the sigil-filled books I can find. Who knows, maybe some magic is real. The acting in The Devil's Rock is solid. The standouts of the very small cast are Matthew Sunderland, who plays Klaus, and Gina Verla, who plays the demon. Sunderland has the perfect evil face for the Nazi villain, and Verla has the perfect angular face for the demon. Whoever did the casting chose some great faces. Weta Workshop did the special effects for the movie, 
so almost everything is perfect. The gore and demon look amazing. All the corpses in the outposts look disturbing and great. All the horns coming out of the demon's head are neat. The only time the effects look a little off is when the demon opens their mouth wide like an anaconda and chomps off Klaus's head. For the most part, the head swallowing is unsettling, but some shots during the snack come off as comedic. I was actually shocked when Klaus straight up killed Joe. Klaus needed a living heart for his ritual, so I guess he knew that Ben was creeping around too. We don't see Klaus notice Ben though. I didn't know there was a post credit scene, so I had to go back and watch it. A German soldier arrives at the outpost and sees the demon in the form of a girl he likes. You don't see the demon makeup again, and the soldier's death isn't shown, so I'm not exactly sure why the additional scene was added. I actually prefer the movie without the credit scene. I'm impressed how enthralled I was by The Devil's Rock, seeing as the main movie only has five living characters. Joe, Ben, a Nazi Ben kills, Klaus, and the demon. I found that really inspirational. I definitely recommend checking out The Devil's Rock. Remember Jonathan King, the director of Black Sheep? No? Well, that movie was covered on the podcast a while back. King plays the Nazi that shot himself. He sits still. What a performance. Number 2. Stung, 2015, directed by Benny Diaz. Julia and her employee Paul arrive to cater a party at a mansion. During the party, everyone is attacked by a swarm of wasps. A lot of people die during the initial attack. Those who were stung start turning into giant human-sized wasp abominations. Julie and Paul make it into the house with a few other survivors, Mayor Carruthers, Sydney, Sydney's mom, and Flora. Sydney's mom was stung, so she turns into a giant wasp and kills Flora. Sydney was also stung. He doesn't fully turn into a wasp, but works to help them. After knocking Sydney out, Julie, Paul, and Carruthers try to escape. Carruthers sacrifices himself after he's pinned down by wasps. After lots of back and forth, Paul is captured by the wasps. Julie saves him and blows up the mansion, which was turned into a giant wasp nest. One wasp survives and is killed. Police and paramedics show up. It's then revealed that cow-wasp hybrids exist also. The wasps are the killers. The wasps were created due to a special growth hormone-filled fertilizer that Sydney's mom bought, but there's no way anyone could have predicted the fertilizer making killer wasps. I'm not labeling Sydney's mom a killer. I'll quickly get the negatives out of the way. Stung is supposed to be a horror comedy. It's not funny. Nothing that happens is even slightly funny. The movie includes a romance plot between Julie and Paul. I'm assuming the writer, Adam Aristi, has never talked to a girl or made someone laugh. All of the romance stuff is groan-inducing and awful, and so are the attempts at comedy. The acting is mostly awful, and I realize that's mostly due to the writing. Matt O'Leary tries his damnedest as Paul. Clifton Collins Jr. almost provides a decent performance as Sydney. Jessica Cook plays Julia, and her character was painfully underwritten. Also, Lance Henriksen shows up. He's incredibly may, but again, the writing is bad. The score is one of the most generic sounding scores I've ever heard. That's a lot of negative. Unfortunately, due to the amount of things I didn't like in Stung, I can't recommend it. Why is that unfortunate? 
Well, you see, listener, Stung has an amazing premise and stunning practical effects work. The premise being, any living being that is stung by these super wasps turns into a giant wasp hybrid abomination. Pet warning, a dog is stung off screen and turns into a horrifying wasp on screen, which means you see said wasp work its way out of a dog corpse. It's pretty gross. It's also gross and disturbing when wasps come out of humans. I want to point out one particular human filled with giant wasp pinata surprise. A woman who's been stung has the wasp inside her start escaping its flesh prison by sticking some limbs out of the woman's mouth. Some of this is done with CGI, but a ton of practical effects are used also. Practical effects are used when the woman's mouth is ripped open to allow the wasp to work its way out of the human skin it grew in. Now, I'm bringing this up specifically because this particular wasp ends up having the woman's gory destroyed head stuck on one of its front legs. Every time the head adorned limb made its appearance on screen, I found it completely unsettling. Huge kudos for such an incredibly disturbing idea. Whoever decided to have parts of human cocoons stick around on the wasps is a genius. A really messed up genius. I may have disliked a lot of aspects of Stung, but the effects in the movie, even the CGI, are incredible. You can tell the CGI is CGI, but it works. All of the gore is amazing, wasps tearing out of people and a dog, impaling body parts with giant stingers, and munching on bodies with their big ol' wasp mouths. All the gore works, the production design blew me away as well. I loved watching the mansion being destroyed and turned into a giant wasp nest. Did Stung drag in a ton of places? Yeah. Did I think it was going to end multiple times? You betcha. Does the runtime of about 90 minutes feel closer to 2 hours? Unfortunately. I want to recommend Stung because the effects work and gore are delightful, but as a whole the movie just didn't do it for me. I really wish the writing was better. I can't recommend a horror comedy with zero laughs. Number 3, The Invisible Man, 2020, directed by Leigh Whannell. This is new, so short is, I recommend it. Here's SB with a warning. If ye don't want spoilers for the see-through scallywags, give to 17 minutes 8 seconds. And with that, we're off. A woman named Cecilia escapes her controlling boyfriend Adrian with the help of her sister. She stays at her cop friend James's house. Cecilia learns that Adrian killed himself. Cecilia doesn't believe Adrian is dead. She believes he found a way to become invisible and is tormenting her. After a run-in that proves Adrian is alive and invisible, Cecilia goes back to Adrian's house and finds a suit that allows the wearer to be invisible. She then goes to talk to her sister in a restaurant, but before she can fill her sister in on what she found, Adrian kills the sister and frames Cecilia. In prison, Cecilia finds out she's pregnant. Cecilia baits the invisible man into attacking her by making it look like she's going to commit suicide. Police show up and see that the invisible man is real. After a showdown at James's house, Cecilia shoots and kills Tom, Adrian's brother, who was wearing one of the suits. Adrian made it look like his brother did everything. Cecilia goes to Adrian's house and puts on the invisible suit she found, and makes it look like Adrian killed himself on camera. Adrian and Tom are the killers. I want to say Tom killed some cops while escaping the prison. Adrian definitely killed Cecilia's sister. Josh, 
isn't this a universal movie? I thought you were boycotting that studio. I was, listener, but Universal is finally releasing The Hunt. Was the whole pull the movie, then release it months later probably just a marketing ploy? I mean, yeah, but I said I wouldn't pay for Universal stuff until it was back on the slate. A Universal ex Blumhouse movie that takes an old Universal monster and brings them back to the mainstream? If that doesn't sound like a cash grab, I don't know what does. Then I saw that it was starring Elizabeth Moss and directed by Leigh Whannell, who also directed that Upgrade movie I've heard great things about. Color me interested. The Invisible Man is, in short, a good time. It's a solid flick. The acting from Elizabeth Moss is top-notch. The cinematography is fantastic. There are tons of shots in this movie that don't have anyone in them that you can see at least. I loved all the lingering shots on empty chairs, corners of rooms, and what have you. My eyes would scan around the personless shots looking for any sign of an invisible man straight up creeping. The score was solid, it really fits with the atmosphere of the film. The sound design in general is amazing. There is a lot of almost silence in the invisible man, and it's unsettling. Most horror movies these days will hit you in the face with a groan-inducing jump scare after a particularly quiet stretch, not the Invisible Man. It'll let you sit uncomfortably in the silence, listening for any movement from an unseen entity. You'll then hear a creaking of a floorboard and wonder if Adrian caused it or if it was just the house settling. I wouldn't even call the big scares jump scares. You have the scene where Cecilia is in the attic and dumps paint out of it towards a ladder to reveal that Adrian was chilling on the ladder, how he instantly got all the paint off his suit and didn't leave any footprints. I don't understand exactly, but maybe he covered the suit in that liquid resistant spray. It's absolutely shocking when Cecilia's sister has her throat slashed in the restaurant. I didn't see that coming at all. I knew that Adrian was planning on framing Cecilia, but I didn't think he was going to stage the whole thing in public. All of the tussling with the Invisible Man looks solid. This is a well-crafted film. Now, I do have some issues with it. Well, one really big issue, since my headcanon for the paint easily slipping off the suit is that spray I just talked about. To bait the Invisible Man into grabbing her, Cecilia plants a fancy sharp pen into her wrist and starts making an incision vertically. Adrian wants the baby, so whoever was invisible at the time stops the suicide attempt. Okay, cool. Cecilia still made a sizable cut in her arm. Shortly after doing this, Cecilia pursues the invisible man. Blood should be pouring out of her wrist the entire time she's in pursuit, and she should start becoming woozy and impaired. The cut doesn't affect her in any way, no blood gushing out of the wound, no stumbling due to blood loss, nothing. Maybe she didn't actually cut herself all that deep, and the little bit of blood that's shown in the R-rated movie was actually pen ink. It really looks like she put a deep gash into her arm though. That's my biggest gripe with the movie. I can look past Adrian appearing inhumanly strong, but I expect oodles of blood from a wrist slash wound. The movie doesn't shy away from blood when it comes to Cecilia's sister and Adrian's throats, 
being slashed, so the absence of blood from Cecilia's suicide bait is even weirder to me. The most unbelievable thing in the movie is that Cecilia is able to get a Lyft driver to take her on the longest ride ever, then wait for her in the car for a return trip. That Lyft driver is the real hero of the movie. Cecilia should have just taken her dog with her when she left Adrian's. That dog didn't care that dumb old Adrian was invisible. The dog could still sense that douche nozzle. I'm happy to say the dog survives the movie and does end up with Cecilia in the end. The big takeaway is, if you ever think an invisible person is messing with you, get a dog. Adrian is Luke from The Haunting of Hill House. I knew I recognized that face. The Invisible Man is absolutely worth checking out. Elizabeth Moss is great. The cinematography is intriguing. The sound design works perfectly. I should probably check out Upgrade now. Keep making R-rated reimaginings of your monster movies, Universal. No, I haven't seen Wolfman. Number 4, Evil Spawn, 1987. Directed by Kenneth J. Hall, Ted Newsom, and Fred Olin Ray. Evelyn Avery releases a creature that attacks her coworker. The coworker becomes violent after being infected by the creature and kills the teenager before being taken out by the teenager's girlfriend. Avery gives Lynn Roman, an aging actor, a serum made from the creature and tells her it'll make her young forever. The serum causes Roman to transform into a monster. Avery kills herself after being found by the police. Roman kills multiple people before being gunned down by the police. Evelyn Avery is the killer. I could put the coworker and Lynn Roman on the list too, but all the death happens because of Evelyn Avery's actions. Evil Spawn was played at the Alamo Draft House as part of their Video Vortex series. It's a series where old VHS era movies are showcased. Strangely enough, this is the first Video Vortex I've ever attended. I've been to their weekly Terror Tuesday nights a ton, but I guess making it to the theater on a Sunday was harder for me. It is the Lord's Day after all. I meant the records day, the day I usually record. If you like horror movies and the bizarre in general and are located in Austin, I definitely recommend checking out Terror Tuesday, Weird Wednesday, and Video Vortex. They are all fantastic screenings you can catch at the Alamo Draft House. Somehow, I haven't seen any of Bobby Breesey's other movies, which include Ghoulies, Mausoleum, and Surf Nazis Must Die. She plays Lynn Roman, the lead role in Evil Spawn. The host of Video Vortex, Joe, said Evil Spawn was her passion project. It's about a woman dealing with ageism in Hollywood, which Breesey dealt with firsthand. A trailer for The Wasp Woman from 1995 played before the feature presentation, which appeared to have the exact same plot as Evil Spawn, but with a way better looking Wasp Woman monster. The bug monster in Evil Spawn doesn't look great. There is barely any articulation once the full transformation is complete. The makeup effects for the monster look their best when Roman is only partially transformed. Don't get me wrong. The effects still don't look all that great, even in potato VHS quality. I did appreciate a teenage boy getting his arm ripped off. That was my favorite kill, and it happens in the first 10 minutes. 
bug Romans kills just aren't that great. The dialogue and delivery of said dialogue is hilariously bad. Most laughs were a result of the dialogue. The best back and forth has to be between Roman and a guy that is writing her biography. It's horribly shot, and both actors aren't selling their emotions in the least. I'm starting to think the big reason Reese wasn't getting any decent roles was her acting chops, or lack thereof. All of the acting is bad, and that's what makes Evil Spawn so fun. When watching a direct-to-video movie from the 80s, you have to go in knowing the effects are going to be cheap, and the acting is going to be subpar at best. The biggest question when it comes to these types of movies is, was it fun to watch? I'd say I had a good time with Evil Spawn. Do I recommend that you watch it at home by yourself? Of course not. This is not an enthralling movie to enjoy in your abode all alone. You could watch it alone if you wanted to use it as some sort of sleep aid. Without the energy of everyone else in the theater, I don't think I would have enjoyed Evil Spawn nearly as much. Theater energy really helps when it comes to watching crappier horror movies. The worst movies can become enjoyable when watched with others. You should definitely check out Evil Spawn if it's playing at a theater near you, which more than likely won't happen. It'll also work with a group of pals. Number 5, The Agfa Horror Trailer Show, 2020, created by Agfa. A bunch of old commercials for concession stands and trailers for horror movies were combined into a feature-length adventure. Multiple entities in different movies are the killers. I'll admit this is a really weird movie to cover on the podcast. It doesn't have a plot. It's a bunch of trailers, a bunch of super fun horror trailers. I'm hoping this becomes a yearly thing that AGFA releases. AGFA stands for the American Genre Film Archive. The organization was founded in 2009 in Austin, Texas. Their website says AGFA exists to preserve the legacy of genre movies through collection, conservation, and distribution. They currently have over 6,000 film prints. Working there sounds like a dream job. How was the first ever horror trailer show? It was great. It was a great collection of obscure, weird horror movies. I want to say I had only heard of four of the movies that were showcased. Body Melt, Hobgoblins, I Drink Your Blood, and The Undertaker and His Pals. There might have been more that I was familiar with, but those are the ones I remember. The only movie I've actually seen that was featured is I Drink Your Blood, and if I remember correctly, the version I saw was Watered Down. I saw that at a Terror Tuesday years ago, and there's a high chance I nodded off during that one. Don't judge me, Terror Tuesdays are late at night. Drinks are normally involved. Some of the older movies have thick lulls. Sure, I could have ordered coffee instead of beer, but then I'm going to be up all night. Did I nod off during the Agfa Horror Trailer Show? Nope. It kept me entertained with its constant twists and turns. Here are some of my favorite parts. The funniest names that were continuously announced in that old horror movie trailer voice were... Scalps. Three. On a meat hook and I drink your blood, since it was then instantly followed up with I eat your skin. What a double feature that must have been. I drink your blood and I eat your skin. 
Other great titles that should be mentioned are The Robot versus The Aztec Mummy and Old Dracula. But Old Dracula was announced by a guy doing more of a funny disco voice. Old Dracula also had a banging song in the trailer. I did end up adding a bunch of movies from the trailer show to my big old list. Body Melt was already on there. I added Bloodhook, a slasher about people being murdered during a fishing competition. Psychos in Love, a movie about psychos in love. Hobgoblins, a rubber puppet creature feature about hobgoblins. Demon Wind, a movie about a ton of weird stuff including demons. Splatter University, a slasher set at a university. And The Robot vs. The Aztec Mummy, a movie about exactly what you think it's about, which has a surprisingly creepy looking mummy for a movie released in 1958. Now, do I actually have high hopes for any of these movies? I think Body Melt, Bloodhook, and Demon Wind might actually be good. Splatter University and Hobgoblins are a little iffier, but I'm hoping for some laughs even if they don't end up created by the intentional comedic beats. Psychos in Love came out in 1987 and looks real rough, but I'm intrigued. The Robot vs. The Aztec Mummy looks real bad, but the premise is so stupid I had to add it. Since this is a trailer show, I can't really talk about the gore or acting like I normally would. Lots of funny, cheesy looking gore and hilariously bad acting were on display. A really cool aspect of watching so many trailers is seeing trends. Did y'all know that almost every movie released before the 1980s was touted as the scariest thing ever created? For some movies, they were so spooky that you had to sign a waiver. There's nothing scarier than legal documents. I know William Castle was super into advertising in a similar but more over-the-top manner. I don't think there were any trailers shown for his movies. Too big a name, I suppose. So this has been a really weird section. The Agfa Horror Trailer Show is an experience I definitely recommend. Will you be able to experience it? Hopefully there will be a way to check it out in the future that's easier than booking it to play in a theater. It would be awesome to book at a small theater and watch it with an audience though. And it can be booked on the Agfa website. Keep an eye out for this one. Number 6, Dead Man's Shoes, 2004, directed by Shane Meadows. Richard comes back home and learns about what a gang of drug dealers did to his brother Anthony, who was intellectually disabled. Richard messes with, then kills everyone that had a hand in driving Anthony to suicide, except one man who, instead of torturing Anthony, stood by and did nothing, while others did. Richard then forces that man to kill him. The gang of drug dealers are the killers. They don't technically kill Antony, they for sure beat him up, drugged him, and left him in a room with a noose around his neck. The blame falls on them. They might have also sexually assaulted him, and the leader, Sonny, did force a girl to do it with him. Yeah. The gang totally deserves to be murdered by Richard. That guy that kills Richard, Richard literally asks him to kill him. Now that I've seen Dead Man's Shoes, I don't know if I'd call it a horror movie. It was recommended to me as one. I guess it's somewhat similar to a rape revenge, which is considered a genre of horror. 
It has the same formula. People do something completely heinous. Those people are killed. You don't really know exactly what the gang did to Antony until the end of the movie. Dead Man's Shoes leads you to believe that Antony is still alive until it's revealed towards the end that he committed suicide. Richard sees and interacts with Antony up until the reveal, but no one else talks to him in the present day. The first thing you learn is that the gang pressured Antony into doing drugs, which is very uncouth and all, but I would put Richard on the killer list if he killed a gang just because they forced Antony to try some drugs. More and more is revealed throughout the movie with flashbacks. By the end, the revenge is completely justified. I might have put Richard on the killer list if he killed the last guy who you could tell was the only one who was truly remorseful and was more of a bystander They didn't do anything than one of the torturers. Is being a bystander who allows awful things to happen bad? Yeah, but I'm assuming the dude was also afraid of the gang. He still should have been like, nah dogs, this ain't cool, you dig? One of the most impressive aspects of the movie is the acting. If you told me all the scenes with the gang hanging out in the present day were real, I'd believe you. Everyone does an amazing job. The weakest performance might be Patty Considine as Richard, but that was definitely the toughest role. I didn't believe that he was as unhinged as he's supposed to come off. I recognized him from Hot Fuzz where he plays a goofy cop which might have affected my perception of his performance. The camera work isn't amazing, but it works. There are a lot of shaky hand cam shots and extreme close-ups. The gore isn't anything to write home about either. Richard kills one guy with an axe. You don't see the attack, you just see the body. The body looks like someone poured some decent looking fake blood all over it. Besides using an axe, he also kills with a gun, knife, and palm strike. The most disturbing reveal, which isn't really all that disturbing, is when Richard has one of the gang members open a suitcase where the body of another gang member is folded up inside. Even though the gore and the camera work aren't all that impressive, the story is solid and elevated by the performances. Did I love Dead Man's Shoes? Not particularly, but it definitely held my attention. Check out Dead Man's Shoes if you have a hankering for a revenge movie and have already seen all the amazing Korean revenge films. It's a fine movie, but I'll probably forget about it in a month. Number 7, Gyo, 2001-2002, created by Junji Ito. Fish with weird mechanical legs start running out of the ocean, which leads to complete chaos. I've been reading a lot of Junji Ito recently. So far, I've gotten through Uzumaki, Tomie, and Gyo. I thought I'd start with Gyo since it's the shorter of the three. It's probably my least favorite, but I completely dug it. I dug all of them. One of them has to be the least favorite, though, so that's Gyo. I thought Gyo was going to be a collection of stories. It does have some bonus stories, which I haven't read yet, but it's mostly one continuous story. It's about the death stench. What's that? It's a kind of sentient gas of souls that is created when living things are infected by a certain virus disease thing. The book starts off with fish being infected, but quickly adds humans and other animals to the list of creatures captured by these creepy ass metal leg devices. The true origin of the legs is never revealed. 
There is a rumor that the military made them, but then so many appear that there's no way the lake machines are man-made. This is the manga where the big ol' walking shark is from. I'm willing to bet at least some of you listeners have seen a picture of a shark with weird, pointy, mechanical legs, even if you don't know who Junji Ito is. Who is that guy? Anyway, he's probably the most prominent horror comic creator of all time. Am I going to go into depth about him in this episode? Nope. Why not? The idea of covering Junji Ito, the man, in a section of my podcast and doing him justice is incredibly intimidating. That's why I'm just going to talk about Gyo and my peanut brain thoughts on it. The idea of stinky, decaying fish scuttling around with sharp mechanical legs scares me. Fish are inherently gross. They're slimy and spiny. I'm not a fish fan. I'll only eat fish if it's fried and I can't see the fishiness. Finding Nemo tries to make fish cute, but in reality, there are very few fish that aren't scary looking. That's definitely a strength of Ito. He'll take something that's mundane but spooky and make it completely unsettling. Sharks? Not that scary as long as you stay out of the water. Walking land sharks? Damn it, Junji! The ending of Gyo is basically that the world is now overrun by the death stench and mechanical legs, but at least Kaori, the main character's girlfriend who hates bad smells and ended up exuding gross stench herself after being infected by the gas disease and being attached to metal legs, had the flesh ripped off her bones, transforming her from a stinky flesh-producing monster into a beautiful, stink-free skeleton. Isn't that everyone's dream, to become a sexy skeleton? I know we all strive to be skeletons. I've dug everything I've read from Junji Ito so far. If you are looking to buy one introductory book from him, I wouldn't suggest starting with Gyo. It's still amazing, but I'd recommend starting with Tomie or Uzumaki, which I'll cover on future episodes. That's a wrap. Get it? Mummies. On blank is the killer 66, impartial demons, wasp abominations, and invisible baddies. If you liked listening, consider rating the podcast on iTunes. I know their garbage podcast app doesn't usually load correctly unless you turn your phone off and back on. Next episode will hopefully include the new Hulark movie and The Hunt. Who knows what else could be on there. A big thanks to Sticker Fridge for hosting the podcast. Go listen to Director's Showdown or something. Do you like music? Go check out Cover Stories. It's a podcast where musicians chit-chat, then cover a song at the end. It's not on the Sticker Fridge Network, but my good friend produces it. The next episode will be out on March 22nd. Till then, make sure to get a dog. Dogs can sense so many things that might try to kill you. Invisible people, ghosts, and even regular harmless next-door neighbors.